I said a while ago that I wasn't going to criticize the Biden administration. And I, I said this for two reasons. One is that the media seems to be very biased uh, in its coverage, especially in the context of what Biden came into office facing, which I'll get to in a second. But they also did the same thing with Hillary Clinton vis-a-vis Donald, and I'm really, really tired of it. The other reason is because the media portrays the Biden administration as if it's a normal administration that followed another normal administration. And nothing could be farther from the truth. First of all, I think this does a great disservice to the American people because it prevents them from understanding fully exactly what's going on politically in this country. So the other problem with that is that that it completely elides the profound issues that the Biden administration came into office facing. We were dealing with a still raging pandemic. We were dealing with um, a severely damaged economy. We were dealing with a country that was weakened in almost every aspect and had been over the last five years. Plus, of course, the fact that the previous administration was responsible for the deaths of over a million Americans. There's nothing normal about what Joe Biden came into office facing. There's nothing normal about what the deeply corrupt, traitorous administration that preceded him left him to deal with. So... The other thing that the media failed to get around to mentioning is the fact that in addition to everything else, the Biden administration has to work with a Congress that has in office seditionists, people who on January 6th either chose not to certify the free and fair election and or chose to side and have chosen to side with the insurrectionists. But when I say I'm not going to criticize the Biden administration, I'm talking about policy. I will not criticize Biden or the Democrats' approach to getting policy initiatives passed or the policies that they've crafted. Because let's face it, right now, the Democratic Party is the only pro-democracy party in this country of the two major parties. The other party is a party of fascists. The Democratic Party is the only party that wants every eligible American to be able to vote easily and have their votes counted. It is the only party that believes in bodily autonomy for everybody. It is the only party that thinks science is real and that climate change is a serious threat to our country and must be dealt with with the urgency it deserves. Now, the Democrats have a very broad, diverse coalition of people. And in the past, you know, they had the luxury of negotiating with each other, just as they had the luxury of negotiating with Republicans. Hopefully, that's going to be the case again. But we don't have that luxury now. We just don't. We're fighting for one thing. And what that means is that we all have to fight for that one thing together. We have to set aside our differences. We have to set aside 
our most important policies, our own agendas, and we have to come together and unite in the way that Republicans have for a very long time for their own nefarious purposes. We have to come together and fight for democracy. So if I feel like the Democrats don't quite understand the threat we're facing, or if I feel like they are ceding ground to a Republican Party that should not be negotiated with, then I'm going to say something, because this isn't about policy. It's about tactics. So I, I think of it as um, in terms of negotiating. When Barack Obama came into office, he inherited an economy that had been absolutely devastated by George W. Bush, and he needed to get a stimulus package through Congress. He came in asking for what he wanted. That's always a mistake in a negotiation, especially when it's something like money. The Republicans come in saying that they will give nothing. So the Democrats should always ask for like five times what they want. Because again, the Republicans don't care. <laughs> they don't want the American people to have anything. By the same token, when you're talking about gun control, for example, the Republicans want everybody at all times to have any kind of gun they want under any circumstances. The Republican starting position should be nobody should have any guns at any time ever. We should be at equal and opposite ends of that spectrum. And then maybe instead of getting nothing, we'll get something of what we want. There are some things, however, with which you do not negotiate. And one of those is with fascism at the expense of democracy. Democrats, I beg you, stop trying to achieve bipartisanship. It doesn't exist. And even if it did, it is no longer a desirable thing because they don't fucking care. You do not make common cause with fascists. You do not cede the ground to people who are out to destroy you, your constituents, and your whole goddamn country. I'm really excited to welcome my next guest, Tara Setmeyer. You've seen her on The View. You've seen her on Good Morning America. She's also the host of the excellent uh, live stream, The Breakdown, with co-host Rick Wilson. And she's a senior advisor for The Lincoln Project, all of which I'm going to talk to her about. Um, but I just want to get right to it. Tara, it is so good to see you and to have you here and to... Uh, Give, you give me something to aspire to because you have such a beautiful home behind you. <laughs> well, thank you, Mary. Um, and uh, like I was telling you before, it's Room Raider approved. So once we did it, we kind of had to keep going with uh, the different themes for the different seasons with my background. It's just a little little fun during the, the COVID times of being stuck in your house and broadcasting from here. So I'm glad it makes, you know, brings you joy. It does bring me joy. And it <laughs> gives you. me something to work towards. <laughs> now your background's great. You've got plants. You got, you <laughs> You know, you've got some art, you've got it's, you, it's great. It's shaping up, it's shaping <laughs> up. Anyway, um, 
I, one of the reasons I, there are many, but one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because first of all, you've only interviewed me before. <laughs> so I, I get to ask you the questions for a change and we did one event together, but it was for you, very yeah, yeah. circumscribed. Like we yeah. didn't get to, to speak to each other at all uh, or at length. So I, I have been following you on Twitter for a while, um, long before we met and um, paying close attention to your journey. Because I think in this day and age, um, it's really difficult if you were a Republican to stand on principle and to move forward with integrity given what's at stake and what happens to people like you, who in November 2020 left the party very publicly. So I'm, I'm curious to know, first of all, how, how have you been in the context of that um, really uh, powerful stance you took? Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you for having me. I, I feel like I know you because I've been following you for a long time and I, I read your book and I've always paid close attention to what you have to say because you're always so insightful and focused on things. And, and I appreciate that about you. So I'm glad to be able to spend a little time with you today. Um, you know, this, this, the last five or six years have been surreal. I spent 27 years in the Republican Party um, very entrenched as a conservative p communications um, expert. I worked on Capitol Hill for seven years. I, you know, I was, I went to George Washington University in Washington, D.C. So I've been involved in politics since I was 18, 17, 18 years old. And to watch what has happened since the era of Trump was ushered in to the Republican Party that I was so dedicated to being a part of and helping elected officials win and work on presidential elections. And as a Republican conservative, like there were things that I, the ideology to me was part of my worldview yep. to watch that completely just implode and to see how many people were willing to sell out the principles that I thought were unmovable, <laughs> um, all for Donald Trump, for your uncle, I was like, this isn't happening. If you would have asked me 10 years ago when the Tea Party was ushered in, and I, I wasn't thrilled with the way the Tea Party handled itself, but some of the policy principles I agreed with as far as fiscal responsibility and mm -hmm. being tough on immigration and uh, more from a law, law enforcement perspective on it, because I come from a law, for, law enforcement family. So there are a lot of things wrong with our immigration system that needed to be fixed. Uh, so like, you know, strong borders, strong national defense, low taxes. I didn't like Obamacare because I thought it was government overreach, you know, typical Republican stuff. Mm -hmm. But their tactics, I didn't quite agree with. And I thought they were going a little rogue. And sometimes when you're so much of an ideologue, that doesn't work well with actually governing. So I was like, yeah, that's not great. And some of the language that was coming out of the Tea Party, I wasn't thrilled about with some of the culture war stuff. And mm -hmm. even with immigration, I was like, mm, not that great. But then when Donald Trump became a force within the Republican Party in 2015 when he declared. And I was one of those people who was like, listen, there's no way. Because I'm from Jersey. I grew right. up, you know, I, I, I know knew. Donald Trump. Right. I, we you know. thought we did it. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, no kidding, right? 
And I'm like, there's no freaking way. No one's going to take this guy seriously. We all know what it is. It's another racket for him. It's a, you know, it's a PR move. He's not serious about He'd this. He's done it before. Right. And I was like, yeah. well, uh, you know, I, like many others, were wrong about how prime the Republican Party was for a demagogue that was flashy, uh, that was willing to say anything, that was willing to give credibility to the fringes. Um, how much, how ready the party was to to accept that. And I was in absolute disbelief. So over the last five years, uh, um, I mean, I became one of the more prolific Never Trump voices uh, in the Republican Party. Uh, I was with CNN for all of that time from 2015 mm-hmm. to 2021, actually through the inauguration. And I was a deadly weapon because I, I knew the playbook. I knew the players. Right. I knew the hypocrisy. So the Trump acolytes really never liked debating me because they knew that I would call them out on their shit. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't, they couldn't use any of the standard lines with me because I was, um, I'm brutally honest. And I, like, I said, like I said, I'm from Jersey, so I'm tough. Right. And they, they weren't going to rattle me with their bullshit. So, right. But it became exhausting. And it also became really depressing for me. Because I watched people I admired and worked for, worked with personal friends of mine. One of my closest friends, she was like a sister to me. I was the maid of honor in her wedding. We haven't spoken in over a year and a half. We haven't seen each other in two years. We, we are basically on opposite sides of the Civil War here. I'm, I'm with the Union. I'm a Union general. She's with the Confederacy. And it's ruined our relationship because she is a a Fox News person, let's just leave it at that. And it's so it's been devastating to watch that, but it's also made it's been a it's also given me a renewed sense of purpose because mm-hmm. God obviously blessed me with a gift of communication and has put me given me this platform to help inspire others to stand up and speak out and do something about where they see the country going and to stop this movement that Trump has unearthed. Yeah, I, I mean there's so much to um get into there, but First and most obviously, you know, you talk about your now estranged friend. and One of many. Same, right, same here. And what I wonder is, what do people not understand that this is unheard of? I'm so <laughs> tired of the word unprecedented, but it is <laughs> unprecedented. I used to have plenty of friends, close friends, who were Republicans, and it, it just can't happen anymore. And, um, and I mean, in this context, obviously we're talking about Republicans who support him. But by the way, that's that's almost every single elected Republican at this point, which is horrifying. Um, but the other thing um, I wanted to touch on is, and, and one of the things that I've always appreciated about you is your willingness to speak truth to, to power. Your, uh, I think it's, I think it's a, um, an inability to pull punches, which I love. <laughs> I can't um, help it. It's in my be, DNA. <laughs> but we, we, need, we need that. We need more of that. Can you, do you have any insight into why um, Democrats don't seem to have that <laughs> skill? It's funny because um, now that I'm fighting on the same side with a lot of my Democratic friends, 
um, you know, we, we were brutal enemies during, during our political days and fights right. on the Hill and stuff, but, but you would still be able to go like the old adage, right? We could go and still have a drink after it wasn't right. as personal to your point before, right. um, where we, there were policy differences and yeah, there were some, we had worldview differences on things, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it wasn't like a fundamental character flaw for you right. to be a Democrat or a progressive or conservative, whatever, you know, right. now, you know, th- there is no lukewarm gray area. If you support Donald Trump, I have nothing in common with you anymore because it tells mm-hmm. me everything I need to know about who you are as a person. And so yeah. now when I, I you know, I, I try with love to tell my Democratic friends, listen, if you don't do X, Y and Z, r- Republicans are going to get away with this. That's why Rick Wilson and I are such a dynamic duo. You know, we do, we have a lot of fun together on the breakdown, but what the Lincoln Project does and, and, and why the Lincoln Project was successful and attractive to so many Democrats was because we're fighters. And we, we all were in, we were all in the party and we all know the playbooks. We know the players, we know the strategy. So that's the best weapon to have is when you know, when you have someone that knows the other side, we can tell you how to fight. But Democrats are so worried about offending people a lot of times. There's just this whole, the political correctness part of it. And you want to be woke or whatever the hell the term is now. Like none of that shit matters if the democracy goes under. Like I I was saying this the other day on MSNBC, Democrats have to get their heads out of their asses. Mm -hmm. And it shows that polling and and their focus groups are showing that this is right. What we've been warning about if Democrats don't stop this and start focusing and meeting people where they are and recognizing that you've got to hit Republicans back, they're going to barrel over them. And it's going to be a nightmare a year from now when Republicans are back in power. Right. And, you know, you talk about the Republican playbook and what the Democrats fail to realize is that the playbook they're using doesn't exist anymore. Correct. Because the Republicans burned it to ashes. Yes. Uh, So, you know, and I I spoke about this earlier. Um, This isn't about criticizing the Biden administration or Democratic policies or anything. This is about tactics. This is about pushing them to do what needs to be done so we can literally save American democracy. So, I, you know, it's it's fascinating to me because I, I think that you and I probably disagree about most things policy-related. Policy-wise, yeah, probably. But I think we both want the same thing. We want a strong democracy where we can go back to having those policy fights, which is what you were talking about earlier. I say that all the time. Can we just argue over like marginal tax rates again? I would love that. (laughs) Right. So it kind of feels like the message that we need to put out there, and I'd love to know what you think about this, is we're all one-issue voters this time around. We're voting for democracy. Or fascism, depending on what side of things you're on. Yeah. Uh, like in 2020, we said it was a binary choice, right? It's America yeah. or Trump. Right. And I don't know that in going into the midterms in 2022, that Democrats are able to communicate that message. At least as of right now, they haven't. Right. They're still mired in policy debates. This is not a policy election. Unfortunately, yeah. it's admirable. Right. I get it. Like policy is important. It impacts people's lives. This is true. And you do need to do some policy stuff, but yeah. that is not going to determine 
um, control of Congress and the future of the country. Like there right. are existential threats to our democracy. And if January 6th wasn't the most stark reminder of what we're facing, then I don't know what else is. I don't, I don't know what else it's going to take for people to be shaken out of this malaise of, well, it's politics back to normal again now. Trump's out of office. We can go back to the way we used to. No, you have to play the game in front of you. Republic, I mean, Democrats can't, like you said, take a playbook for an enemy that doesn't exist. Right. Their opponent doesn't that does that that doesn't exist anymore. So they have to adjust. And I think that there are some of the older Democrats, the the ones that the the new breed of Democrats don't really like, you know, like Nancy Pelosi and and Steny Hoyer and all the the old guard over there. James Clyburn. Mm. Um, I call them the OG triumvirate because (laughs) they've been around for a long time. But they know politics. Yeah. Right. There are the rough and tumble of politics. They know how to play that game. And even though I was on the other side and fought against Nancy Pelosi and probably said some horrible things back in the day um, that I regret now, but I respect her because she's yeah. a tough broad. Right. And I am. And she knows politics. And I wish that more Democrats would listen to the veterans, listen to the James Carvilles and the Paul Begala's who have been in this fight before, because the way that Bill Clinton won in the 90s is what they need to go back to now. They need to meet people where they are and and talk in plain language and explain that it is our democracy on the line. Now, that's tough. Right. When gas prices are, are up and housing prices are up and inflation and all these things that the kitchen table issues that people deal with every day, they don't wake up every day and go, oh, my God, my democracy is in, in, right. in jeopardy. Most people don't think like that, but right. they need to because that's how things slip away. That level of apathy, that political apathy, you wake up one day and go, oh, holy shit, how do we end up in the handmaid's tale? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and Texas already is, uh, of course. Um and and that's true. There there seems to have been this terrible. <laughs> it started with we go high, which I never interpreted to mean we be doormats while they walk all over us. I mm-hmm. I interpreted that as we don't fight on their terms because Correct. we don't want to become what we revile, <laughs> which is fascism. But it means what, what we're fighting for is so important that you better put your fucking brass knuckle, knuckles on, right? <laughs> well, you got to buy them first, well, right? Like a lot, you know true. what I mean? So uh, for the ones that already have them, great, put them on. But then right. for the ones that don't, it's like, you're going to have to go buy some brass knuckles. You yeah. may not like it, but you got to toughen up, Buttercup, because otherwise you're going to get rolled over. Mm-hmm. And But it's true. The, the, you know, when they go high, when they go low, we go high. Um, expression, I think, wasn't meant to be highfalutin. It was meant to be no. like, yeah, we're not going to get into the mud with these people, and right. um, you know, we're not going to light cheat and fleas steal. and all that. Right, we're not going to yeah. do that. But you better figure out a way to be a little bit tougher with the tactics. You can't be polite all the time. Sometimes you just right. has, have to punch the bully in the mouth. You know, all this, yeah. you, you just have to, and oftentimes. That'll set them straight. And I think that this is, there are so many Republicans that are just political, politically craven, 
jerks that they they can't see beyond the next election or the power mm-hmm. that they think they're going to get that right. if you if you actually hit back at them they'll fall apart yeah they will you think kevin mccarthy is some kind of tough guy that's like you know a tough political operative no he's not he's a coward you think ted cruz for god's sakes is a tough political go- operative he's a coward that can't even defend his own family or donald and, donald's the weakest person i've ever met where in my I life was getting to uh, donald sorry. trump yeah you know i mean if if somebody could you imagine if if de- democrats stood up to donald trump and told him to go fuck off like you know i mean yeah you know, Biden almost did that in in the debates, which I think people were like, yeah, when he was like, will you, will you shut up, man? And is that presidential? No. But sometimes you just have to be 100, 100 with it. You know? What does that shut word even up. mean anymore? Come on. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just have to just tell him, like, just, look, do you see this guy? You know, stop it. Just shut up. And, you know, it right. didn't, it rattled Trump. He didn't like it because he's not used to people standing up to him, which I just don't understand. I don't get the... I don't get the fealty thing with with him, um, and it's it's disappointing and scary. I mean, if our country, if our democracy is going to go down because of Donald Trump, good oh. grief! Well, I mean, do you, I, I think it's safe to say that uh, he's a symptom of yes, absolutely. right? So the the yeah. ground was weakened long before. But I do I agree about the fealty, except I. I do understand it in the Republican side because they kind of feel that they have no choice at this point. And I want to get to that in a second. But what I didn't understand was during the, the primaries in 2016, that why did they have, there was no fealty. There was no reason to have any fealty when they were all running against him. That's when I was just completely mystified um, why nobody seemed to figure out how to deal with this guy. Just call him a loser and move right. on. Call him a, lo- a broke loser, and that would have been it, right? <laughs> Even better. Yeah, that would have been um, it entirely. Which, and it was all there. Like, mm. I used to be very good friends with Kellyanne Conway. I'd known Kellyanne for a long time. Wow. She's a Jersey girl also. We were yeah. in the same conservative circles. We were on many television panels together. And when Kellyanne worked for Ted Cruz in 2016, before she went to the dark side, mm-hmm. um, we used to go get manicures together and I used to go to her house. I went to her house and had wine with her and her, and her family. Hmm. And I've known Kellyanne for over 20 years. And she and I would, would compare notes about all of the times that Donald Trump screwed over the little guy, what a terrible businessman he is, how dishonest he's been over the years. And that was supposed to be the play. Show people that he's full of shit. And yeah. there's actually a clip of Kellyanne and I on CNN together before she went to the dark side, laying out that case about how Donald Trump has done nothing but screw the little guy, that he's not for the, 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 the people that people that they think he's for. Like he's, he reviles them. She told a story about how she was with her daughter at, at one of the um, candidate forums and he called his he called his supporters a bunch of suckers. Look at yeah. these suckers. Look at these idiots out here, you yeah. know, and to, to her daughter, who was 10 at the time. And making fun of them. This is before he became the sensation he became. So we were like, why? Which is another thing. I, I've another person that I'm just shocked at. You just look at these people and go, you sell out everything for what? For pain, for fame, access to power, for money. And they saw Donald Trump as that vessel for them to become relevant. Look at all the losers and third rate people he surrounded himself with. Yeah. 
These people couldn't have get couldn't have gotten jobs anywhere else. They couldn't have gotten an audience with any serious people, but and they did with Donald Trump. Well, yeah. exactly. And so yeah. all of those people in 2016 should have dropped out. Like there were at least seven yes. of those people that never had a chance to begin with, and just there they were they were vanity candidates. Yep. And their egos got in the way, and that's what allowed Trump to prevail. So many of those Bobby Jindal. Dude, you had no shot. Get the hell out of it. What are you doing? You know, Carly Fiorina, I like her, but you had no shot. Lindsey Graham, you had no shot. You barely got reelected in South Carolina. There were a number of them. Right. And that's what split the vote. And my good friend, Michael Steele, who was the RNC chair back in 2010, we always joke um, and say if he had been chairman of the RNC at the time, Donald Trump never would have been the nominee because he would have sat them, sat the other candidates down. They would have had a, a powwow and they would have been like, listen, we see what's going on here. You guys are going to have to let it go. We need to coalesce between, you know, behind one or two people here and or else we're going to end up with Donald Trump as the nominee. Is that what you want? They could have stopped it, but they underestimated yeah. him. And, and look at what we got. Well, and there, there have been many dozens of times since then when they could have, as I said, take the off so many away from him. I say that too. And now this is a choice. We're, we're dealing with a party that has made this choice. Um, I, I'm making an assumption, so I, instead of doing that, I'll ask you. You still consider yourself a conservative, yes? Yeah, in the, in the traditional sense, sure. Right. Um, so not, what is in the, the, not in the political sense that if that right. means that I'm some crazy that thinks Donald Trump is supposed to be president and like QAnon is a is a thing. Yeah, no. <laughs> but but I mean, I don't think we can use the word conservative to describe today's Republican Party. Not in, at all. Anyway, so what what is this party? It's a uh, authoritarian light party. Light. And yeah, I mean, well, because they haven't gone full, they're not in power now. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, they haven't completely suspended the Constitution, but they would have. Yeah. I mean, obviously, January 6th is the greatest example of that. Yeah. I mean, they were chanting, hang Mike Pence, for fuck's sake. The vice president of the United States, who was embarrassingly servile to Donald Trump all those years. I mean, if Mike Pence was, yep. was up, you know, for hanging, what about the rest of us? I mean, my God. Oh, forget about it. Um, I, I just, I, I wrote a piece for NBC Think uh, uh, recently about this, about Mike, Mike Pence will never be president, that right. my cat Tiki has a better shot of being president Yeah, I than love Mike that. Pence. That was hysterical. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I love that you have a cat. Tiki's the best. He also yeah. has an Instagram, Tara's Tiki Cat. Um, but anyway, Actually, my, um, my cats are the best. But that's okay. Yeah, well, it's okay. We all that's that's part of being all a cat of owner. We all think our cats are the best. That's right. Um, but anyway, you know, like the people like Mike Pence should be a, a cautionary tale that no mm-hmm. matter how servile and obsequious you are, you're never going to get that same amount of loyalty back from Donald Trump. What does it get you? Rick Wilson wrote the book, Everything Trump Touches Dies. He so did. now the Republican Party has is dead. This is no longer the party of Reagan or of Bush or of uh, Lincoln. There are no remnants of that party left. They, have, they are marching toward this authoritarian um, um, excuse-making for uh, dictators like Putin, this weird hero worship of authoritarian figures, which was anathema to republicanism this you know spending out the wazoo nobody cares donald trump oh we got to spend this on that or what at our we're protectionists now uh, i mean 
there are so many things that Republicans conceded and acquiesced to that were anathema to Repub- traditional Republicanism or even conservatism that it's hard to come back from it. They're just intellectually dishonest. All it is is about power. They just want power. Right. And they've they've sold out everything just for that power. And they're not a functioning party anymore. They're illiberal. And they're... Yes. You know, they're literally an existential threat to our constitutional republic. And I don't know what it's going to take for more people to see that. 75 million people voted for Donald Trump to get reelected. Holy shit. That uh, our, oh, we yeah. need to think about, as a country, how that happens. I, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to get over. I'm, I'm not a, ever getting over the 62 million who voted for him in 2016. The 74, 5 million uh, in 2020 was right, kicking the teeth. Um, but I... I I think the media have a fair, a large share of blame here because you were saying earlier that people don't wake up every day worrying that their democracy is being threatened. Well, why? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. because I think the media has, has, well, I think some of it is just cynical um, and it's about their bottom line, but a lot of it is just that their need to normalize the abnormal, you know? And, and it's, it really worries me because how do we educate people about the threats we're all facing? I think the fact that we have, it's been a blessing and a curse that we have social media and yeah. the ability now to be able to communicate to the masses in ways that we never could before. I mean, look at us. We're able to have a conversation on a podcast and you can put it out yourself. You don't need yep. a, you know, a major distributor to do that. People, you, you have the, we have the ability to talk to each other in ways that we didn't before and beyond our own universes. So I think that's a, one of the good things. It's also one of the bad things because that's also yeah. how disinformation gets spread and a lot of people get indoctrinated with this nonsense and we're up against this massive right-wing media ecosystem that has brainwashed millions of people into believing so much crap. It's, it's hard to uh, imagine. Yeah. But even the mainstream media, like I said, I was a contributor for CNN for years, and CNN was just as guilty as others, giving all of that free airtime to Donald Trump in the beginning and not really holding him accountable. If right. they had done their jobs to expose him the way they should have and framed it, the way they should have, instead of oh, sitting back and liking the show, because I think it was Les Moonves who said, yeah. you know, he bad for the country, great for ratings. Exactly. I mean, they knew it. The, the media executives knew it. And then it got out of hand and they couldn't reel it back in. And so now I think the, the, they've created this juggernaut on the other side that they it's difficult now. People are so siloed and so, you know, yes. in their own tribes that... You can't have dinner with your uncle who voted for Trump because they watch Newsmax or Fox or OANN, for God's sakes, or the war room with Steve Bannon. And they're indoctrinated with this nonsense every day that they they're so entrenched in it and they don't want to admit that they're wrong. It almost becomes like a personal affront to them if they're if you point out to them. No, I'm sorry. Two plus two is not five. And this guy's not purple. But we're the assholes for pointing out the truth. It's crazy. It, it's crazy, and I definitely can have dinner with my uncle, um, but that's, that's, that's a good thing. Um, but it, it, it is maddening because we are dealing with facts, <laughs> and there, there, are, there aren't two realities. There's one reality, and then there's fantasy and, um, you know, the, the QAnon 
conspiracy bullshit, right? The uh, fact, which Mary, is the vi- fact that there are people who believe this that are running for office and actually have a chance of winning yep. is all you need to know about the state of our politics now. It's, it's right. like QAnon believes that there are uh, like what Hollywood celebrities that drink the blood of children to, to like have everlasting life for some nonsense. What? And, the, and people who subscribe to this are members of Congress currently That's and right. are running for higher office in various states with a chance to win. We, what have we become? We have uh, people who were active at the January 6th insurrection running for offices across the country. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we, our time is really short, um, and I know you have to go, but I, I, I'd like to end with two questions sure. just quickly because I, I – know that we're talking about really heavy, dark stuff. So um, I would love to know, one, what gives you hope and how do you hang on to it? I always try to leave with um, uh, some aspect of, of positive thought here because it is a, it is a lot and it's heavy. Yeah. And we look at what's going on in the world, not just the attack on democracy in America, but we're seeing this Western style democracy under attack all over the world from Ukraine to Brazil. Yep. And, but what I am encouraged by is how many people are paying attention now. It's so important to pay attention, get involved, educate yourself, and believe that every single person plays a role. I think for a long time, people were cynical about politics and thought, oh, my vote doesn't count, or politicians are going to do what they do, doesn't matter, it's all big money and banks. And That's actually not true. It, yeah. it, I mean, there's, there are aspects of that, but in, a, in, in the type of constitutional republic that we have, we have that responsibility. We get the government we deserve if we let the other people win. And I truly believe that there are more of us, more good people who believe in our democracy, who want to do the right thing than there are of them. They just may be louder. But I'm encouraged by how many people who weren't involved before are doing something about it now, whether that's organizing you know, your local school board meetings and standing up against, um, you know, what the what the right is doing or whether it's even running for an office. God bless you now for that. And I, I would love to run for office one day, too. But um, but anything like that to get involved, even if it's just to, you know, put a yard sign or grab yeah. your neighbors and say, you know, have you seen this? We, we got to go vote. You know, this is because this, every election matters. And the people you, you have to be more. You have to be more engaged and more motivated than your opponent, because yeah. if you, if uh, if you're not, then you're like I said, you're going to wake up and real and say what happened to us. So That's right. I think the, the the lesson here is that when the righteous anger of the American people comes together for good you will see positive change. And that's how Mm -hmm. we ended up with Joe Biden. And he's Mm -hmm. not perfect, but he's a good man. He understands the role. And thank God he has brought uh, some respectability back to the office of the presidency and honesty and decency and character. And it still gives us a fighting chance in this country. It's not over. It's up to us. Absolutely. To say it's over now is to, to, to succumb to cynicism. That's right. Um, we don't concede anything. We have 10 months to turn this ship around, so Indeed. to speak. Um, Tara, I so appreciate your being here. You rock. Uh, keep fighting that good fight thank without you. pulling any punches. I know you will. <laughs> I don't have to tell you that. And seriously, thank you so much. And we'll have to have you back again when you have more time. 
Oh, I appreciate it, Mary. And uh, I look forward to it. And I'm glad to be on the same side with you. Yeah, same here. Stay safe. (laughs) Thank you. Now I get to answer your questions. I really love hearing from you. So if you have anything you want to ask me, please send an email to mary at politicon.com. And um, hopefully I will be able to get to your question next week. First up, we have a question from Mike in very red Indiana. I think that goes without saying, but thank you, Mike. Uh, He says, Democrats have won the popular vote since 2004. Were it not for hanging chads in Florida in 2000, it might go back to 1990, sorry, 1988. However, Democrats are over-concentrated in too few states. Should we be moving to swing states? Do you foresee any way this could be a viable strategy? Oh my God, Mike, I love this idea. I have heard, I think it's, um, oh, he was columnist for the New York Times. Um, His name will come to me. Anyway, there is a movement in that direction. Um, Think about it. Wyoming has like four people. If we got five Democrats to move there, we could make a difference. It it seriously, it wouldn't take that much. Um, You know, I know um, there have to be Democrats with money (laughs) who can make this kind of thing happen. I mean, think about it. If you could just get somebody to go build a lot of affordable housing in Wyoming or um, South Dakota, I don't know, one of these other very thinly populated states with lots of inexpensive land, it could really make a difference. I mean, why not? You know, um, Wyoming has way too, states like Wyoming and Wyoming, they have way too much electoral power and it's, it's a travesty. You know, I, again, I think there are not, I don't know, around half a million people in Wyoming. They have two senators. There are in excess of 40 million people in California. They have two senators. It's a massive flaw in the system, and something like that could really make a huge difference. So, yeah, I'm all for that idea. Okay, from Joe in Oregon, or Oregon, I don't know. I'm an outsider. I always mispronounce it. As a psychologist, can you help explain the infuriating, persistent, yet obviously false illusion that the former guy is some kind of business savant? From a psychological, there's no psychological reason. It's, it's, it's because the media and, uh, banks and the Republican party have propped this guy up for decades. You know, I, as somebody from New York and, and, um, Tara and I, spoke about this earlier, because she's from New Jersey, it was impossible for us to understand that anybody would think that Donald was a success at anything because he's such a fucking loser, right? He's never succeeded in any business. All of his money came from his dad. You know, it's just, it was absurd to think that that lie about him would play But the truth of the matter is, people from outside of the tri-state area saw a very different portrait painted of him. We had the New York media in the 80s and 90s 
putting them on the front page time after time, reporting on the most absurd thing as if he were important, right, to sell papers. We had banks bailing him out, throwing money at him because they worried that if the illusion of him as a success was revealed, then they would lose their investment. And then, and I always forget this because I never, for obvious reasons, watch the show. We have The Apprentice. Actually, I saw five minutes. I was trapped in a waiting room and it happened to be on the television. And, um, you know, I saw this very small clip of Donald and his three oldest children. And it was so bad. Like, I thought that it was meant purposely to be a parody. I had no idea that people watching it who didn't have the perspective of somebody who knew him or who grew up in New York took it seriously. So that's why. That's why it persists. Not not because people are psychologically flawed, although don't get me wrong, a lot of the people who support him, you know, the white supremacists, the misogynists, the the anti-Semites, the racists, yeah, they're deeply flawed and in many cases sick people. But Generally speaking, it's not because of any psychological disorder or deficit. It's because people have been lied to for so long, and the Republican Party picked up that mantle and ran with it. Uh, from Mika or Micah, sorry, I'm not sure which, will any of the other Trump relatives ever see the light, so to speak, and flip towards justice? If so, who might it be? The answer is nope, nobody. <laughs> that was easy. Um, okay. From Bethany, what do you think the likelihood is that the Democrats continue to have their head in the sand, lose all power the next election cycle and never regain it again, or at least anytime soon? Ouch. Um, I don't know. I, I, I am operating on the assumption that the Democratic Party will begin to understand what's at stake and what needs to be done. Um, because we don't have the luxury of time anymore. We really don't. And it's not just because of politics. Um, you know, there have been times, uh, the 2010 midterms were an example of this. The Democrats got absolutely trounced uh, two years after Obama came into office. And then they got their act together and realized they need to take it seriously. Well, this time around, we lose, we lose democracy. So, you know, there won't be another opportunity. Uh, the other clock that's ticking is climate change. Um, a Republic, another Republican administration would be potentially fatal uh, to the survival of life on this planet because we're running out of time. Um, I have to be completely honest with you. I don't, really follow news about climate change. One, because I mean, it's sort of like, you know, I don't watch videos about um, from organizations that raise money to prevent cruelty animals because I'm, I, I would never, I'm not one of those people who's cruel to animals and I can't subject myself to it. And I do whatever I can to make sure people are cruel to animals. It's the same thing. I, I am absolutely convinced that climate change is the most serious issue facing us. I will do whatever I can to fight it as far as one person can. Um, but I can't, I can't read about it. I can't watch anything about it because quite honestly, it freaks me out. Um, but that's another reason we don't have the luxury of time for the Democrats to figure out 
you know, what's really going on and what they need to do about it. So, you know, we need to educate them to the extent that that's possible for us to do um, and not concede an inch. As, as Tara and I said earlier, you know, we're not giving up. We have t- nine or 10 months to turn this thing around and make sure that the Democrats win big in November. So that's what we're going to do. Thank you so much for watching this episode of The Mary Trump Show with me, Mary Trump. It was such a pleasure to have Tara Setmeyer on today. Uh, I think we had a great conversation. Um, please, if you would like to ask me anything, send your questions to mary at politicon.com. I love hearing from you guys, and I will do my best to get to all of your questions next week. Please watch the show on YouTube. And don't forget to follow and subscribe. Also, click on the bell because that way you'll be sure to get every new episode as soon as it drops. And follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, except, of course, Spotify. And don't forget to give us a five-star review because it really does help other people find the show. Thank you again for watching, and I will see you next week. Stay safe. Stay safe.